The densest populated city in the world was Kowloon, a Chinese city inside of British-controlled Hong Kong. It had about 50,000 people living on 26,000 square meters, or about 2 million people per square kilometer. Welcome to, again, just me. Both Jan and Red is sick and a bit under the weather today. And instead of just leaving you hanging without an episode, we figured we could send the first episode of my other podcast, Setting Up Shop, that I have together with Dan Terran and Heidi Jacobs, a woodturner and a ceramicist. They were guests on the podcast here, introducing that podcast a couple of months back. And this is going to be episode one. There is an intro episode before that, but if you already listened to the episode where they were on here, I think you know everything there is to know. But yeah, it's just a podcast about tree makers trying to take that hobby, that profession they have, and turning it into a fully-fledged viable business. And all the tiny steps along the way of figuring out your market, figuring out your products, going to your first market, setting up shop, setting up and getting things sold and Basically, we just talk through all the challenges we've had and try to give some helpful advice to the people out there who is going through the same struggles. Give it a listen and we'll be back with your regular schedule shenanigans next week. Okay, bye. Setting up shop. Well, hello and welcome to Setting Up Shop, a Maker Journey podcast. Uh, my name's Dan, and I'm here with Rasmus Lowensteinsgaard and Heidi Jacobs, my co-hosts. Hello. Hi. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the fascinating subject of making sure that you're not riding a duck, um, which <laughs> sounds very odd. Um, this basically came about uh, talking about how you get started and making sure that you don't jump too far ahead and that whole thing of, you know, don't put the cart before the horse, don't get on the horse if you're not sure of the horse. And then we were talking about this and it just came up of how, yeah, making sure that it's actually a horse and not a duck. So that that's where the title comes from. <laughs> Um, and there may be a T-shirt to follow this in the future. Pot potentially. <laughs> There's always a T-shirt. There's always potential for a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to cover a few things. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, time, setting boundaries, and feedback, which are three quite important factors when working on setting up a shop, setting up a small business. And so we're going we're gonna to go straight into time, and we're going to talk about the fact, you know, how much time do you actually have to give um, which is quite an important thing to consider. You know, we all lead busy lives, uh, whether you're single or in a relationship, whether you've got children or not, whether you live at home or, or you know, on your own, all these different things. If you've still got the day job, there will be a limited amount of time. We all talk about needing more time. Just as a, an example of this, uh, we're going to each talk a little bit about our own experiences and how we break our own day up. Um, and Heidi, if you don't mind, I'll start with you because I, I know you're quite strict on your uh, your timings to make sure you fit everything in. Sure. Well, um, 
If I have a pretty large order, what I typically do is try and utilize my morning hours as best as possible. So I'll wake up really early in the morning and start my day by throwing. And then I will take a pause, put everything under plastic. Then I'll get Carver up for school or daycare. And then I'll get myself ready for school or work. (laughs) And then I will... Either I'll work remote, which sometimes is beneficial because then I can uncover in plastic over my lunch break and, you know, maybe catch up on some things or I don't have that commute to worry about that takes a lot of time out of my productivity. Um, But most days it's a solid eight to 10 hours of, you know, not being in my studio, then come home, maybe decompress for a little bit and then back in the studio to finish up whatever tasks I had started in the morning. Um, usually it's, I maybe put in about four hours a day, um, into the pottery. Some days it's a little bit more, but, um, I try to limit that so that I have family time. Yeah, that's a lot next to a day job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive for those of you who, who haven't listened to sort of the uh, the warm-up intro episode. So Heidi's got the day jobs. She's got she's a potter. She's uh, she's a wife and a mother. And she's just told us that she's doing four four hours a day on top of the day job. Um, that's, that's quite a lot of uh, organizing and, and making sure that things are in the right place. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do want to put the caveat like that's when I have large orders. Um, yeah. That's not that's not a continuous like 365 days a year. Right. Yeah. That's when I have, you know, a large bundle of orders that I need to get out. And maybe, you know, I'm filling up the weekend. Like I try to make sure that I have some downtime on the weekends um, just because, you know, my day job is, can be stressful and demanding as well. So I do need that time. And I also need to time, you know, spend time with Ben and Carver. So I might do like four hours on the weekend, um, as well. So if we, if we do a quick bit of, uh, mathematics there. So if you, if when you're, you're on your, your large order time, uh, let's say you do it as a five day week, you're doing four hours a day. That's still only 20 hours a week. And I say only, um, because you know that that's a part-time job, um, but it's not it's not a full working week. So you're trying to run a secondary business, and although twenty hours a week is a lot, if you think about a part-time job when you get hired to do something, let's say you work in retail, you're only hired to do one part of the overall business. You're only being hired to work on the shop floor. Maybe you're serving customers and restocking shelves. But you're not also being hired to do the accounts, the HR, the admin, the social media and marketing, the packaging, all of the other things that make up that whole business, which we as independent creatives, we do have to do. So it's interesting that you you do make that caveat and you've made it quite clear that that period of time, that the amount of time you're putting into that is only when you've got a large order and you've got that time scale. Or, or maybe I'm assuming when it's coming up towards Halloween or Christmas or something like that, you might have to, to ramp up to that sort of level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with pottery, you like it's one of those, it's like a, a master's in, um, in project management because you have to have pottery at each different stage in order to keep the business going. So I might on a, uh, so I might on a Saturday make that my throwing day. Yeah. So I'll throw for maybe two hours and bust out 40, 50 pieces. 
And I'll sit those to the side because I can't work on them past throwing because they need to set and get leather hard. And then I have to do the next phase, which is assembling everything. So I'll have a gap in there where I won't be in play um, or I'll be doing another step in the process. So if I have pieces down um, in the basement that are bisque fired that I need to clean up, uh, I need to prep for glaze firing, then, you know, there's... um, it's basically like a daisy chain, right? Like there's all, there's always something else in the chain that needs to be worked on uh, for the process. And then on top of that, there's the consideration of um, how am I selling these? Am I going to a big show? Is it a batch order for a wholesale order? Are some of the pieces intertwined? So I have, you know, extras that I've thrown, maybe I'm for a gift shop that I also want to hold back a portion for myself for, um, selling at a show or putting on my website. So there's that maintenance too, yeah. like figuring out how much uh, I need to be online uh, promoting whatever yeah yeah whatever yeah. output that is. I even do promotions for the wholesale stuff too, just to let people know, hey, this product is coming to this local shop um, as just a extra bump. And all of that takes time. It takes a lot of time. It does. So as as a blacksmith then, Raz, so um, obviously you're you're doing this full time already. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and ask, how many hours a week do you put into that? <laughs> but also at the same time, it's still a valid question because, again, you're not just a blacksmith. You are a business owner. You're not just turning up to the shop, doing the nine to five or whatever the, the common hours would be in Norway when it's always dark. <laughs> but, uh, you know, how do you segregate your time you know what's what's the split between actually making things and then the, the the rest of the stuff i aim to have at least 3 good days well maybe closer to 30 hours actively forging a week okay that's sort of the breakdown point of how much just on average i need to be doing to make it all turn over and be economically viable Okay. Granted, there's, I mean, I include a lot of other things in that, maybe not directly production work, but also like prototyping things and maintenance of all the tools and so on and so forth. But I, my, my days are, generally speaking, that I start with about two hours of having slow breakfast and doing office work. Yeah. Then go down to the shop and try to have six hours in the shop, maybe eight, depending on if I got evening activities or anything else. Do you do you have similar to Heidi then? Do you do you have this kind of rolling process where you might you'll you'll make a, ba- a batch of things to one stage, and then you'll work on something else because either maybe they're, they're I know it's different with forging, so you're not necessarily you wouldn't wait in between heats or whatever. Uh, it's similar enough actually, uh, because like order of operations, some things need to be heated up and forged before I can file, machine, drill them weld them together and things like that yeah and it's a lot easier to do all of those like physical touching things when things are not hot anymore yeah and depending on the size of things i'm making that it might take half an hour for that to cool down okay and if i'm doing a run of things that need to be hardened like knives or axes or chisels or anything like that then they they might need to uh, be tempered or they need to thermal cycle and all of those things that can take hours maybe even a full day on some types of steel in some sizes okay so in those cases it's more more an option of oh i need to get in the shop early today so that i can just get the kiln going heat treating oven going with these type of steels 
So just so that they are done and not a fire hazard by the time I need to leave. Okay, cool. So and it, it's similar for me with with the wood turning element of it. You know, I I buy in the plank. It's already dry. It's kiln dried, but it's a plank. It's not it's not in the round blank. So I've got to first of all push it through a planing machine so it's flat on both sides, cut the circles out and the, all of that kind of thing. And it makes sense to do the whole board at once rather than one off the end, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. So it's interesting that. Um, I think we're all, and I'd imagine many creative people are the same, we've all got our processes. We all understand our processes and how we're, we're doing them and where, where we're getting to the end result. But I think what would be a really good exercise for anyone who is talking about setting up their own business, first of all, if you're not already, try and consider batch working because it's more efficient. We'll talk about that in a, in a later podcast. But also actually understand and know your process get to the point in your creativity where you realize how long a thing will take you so whether or it's for me turning a plate for Heidi it's you know making a vessel of some description or or you making a, a forged item you need to know start to finish and I don't just mean once it's put on the lathe or on the wheel or in the forge from the point of getting your raw material how long will that take? Mm-hmm. Like if you have to drive somewhere to pick up clay, to pick up timber, to pick up steel, how long does that drive take you? Can you fit that drive in on the way to something else or on the way back from something else? Um, and once you've sourced that raw material and you've got it back to your workshop, how long does it then take you to process it to a point where you can then start forming the shape or, you know, and then applying a finish or all of those those kind of different things and if you've got more than one product you make, let's say two or three or five, are they all the same in those processes or are they different? And then can you build them into a schedule? Because whilst that's the bit that we all want to do is the making of the things, realistically for selling and building a business, that's only maybe 10 to 20% of, of the actual time that we need to spend. Yeah. And that is, I'm sorry to tell people, but that is the grim reality of trying to, to build your own business around something creative is that the bit that you really enjoy is, is the, the smallest part, probably short of doing accounts uh, of yeah. your business. It, it, that's it sort of makes it worse to be said than if you really want to, go like to the extreme of this making whatever craft you're doing your full-time job Mm. you should love doing that so much that you can put up with doing all the horrible shit that goes (laughs) into actually running a business yeah that's that's a really good point actually raz yeah um i think if you if you resent doing all of the other administrative bits around it um then that's that's going to make it a struggle for you but i mean equally if you get to a point where you can employ someone or persuade a family member to do those bits for you then that's great um personal experience dan not yet (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm working on it um i I, that, that, that being said i have been very fortunate i i do have a friend who works in in public relations who did volunteer to do some work for me and she sent me a whole list of places to help boost my SEO uh, for free. Um, and just like, hey, these are some awards and things you should apply for. These are some various things that you should be doing year on year. Here's some ways of writing copy to get into magazines. Here's some just like stuff to her that is like basic bread and butter. 
but to those of us who have never had any dealings with any of that it was all like this mystical unicorn of stuff that yes i had no idea even existed um and she was also very good at doing she she took on my facebook page for a brief period of time to get some posts done so that i could activate my instagram shop uh, and she did all of that for free uh, i say that she then got exceptionally good rates on some stuff that she was buying for people for christmas um not that she knows that because she would be upset if she did um, <laughs> now she knows but uh you know the, what 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 uh, goes around comes around kind Absolutely. of thing um so do either of you guys have any little uh tips for ways you can almost steal time for the business i mean if i go first as an example whilst you guys have a think about it so when I'm in my day job, I get an hour for my lunch break. And with the best will in the world, I don't spend that whole hour eating. So everyone's got their phone with them now. And what I will quite often do is I will use that time to schedule social media. So, you know, I've, I've got the business manager app that links both Facebook and Instagram. Um, I will have taken a load of photos of stuff while I'm uh, or videos for reels or whatever while I'm making stuff. Maybe I'll spend some time in the Adobe Lightroom app, which is free. I can highly recommend everyone gets that and play around with that for tweaking photos. And then I, I've got that time, realistically, at least 40 minutes where I can work out what I'm going to be doing for that week uh, or for longer than that and, and planning in various elements of social media. Maybe I'll also use that time for uh, ringing up suppliers or speaking to potential markets and all that kind of stuff you know the admin stuff that you you need to do but i'm i am literally in a position where once i've eaten my food for that hour of the day there is nothing else for me to do yeah so it makes sense for me to utilize that time to then actually rather than just doom scrolling through social media and looking at other people's stuff and going oh i wish mine was that good you know, or watching YouTube videos of gamers playing something uh, that I don't have time for anymore because I'm making things. Um, Tell me about that. <laughs> using that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ste stealing that time for um, for uh, something productive. Um, have you got? And I mean, it's a bit awkward for you, Raz, because this is your day job. But have you got a yes? Any kind of thing that that creeps into? Yeah. Um, two things you said that, or maybe just one depending on how I remember things correctly. Uh, one of them being, it's kind of important to be able to actually like realize that, oh, I have five minutes. Let me do a little something that pushes the business forward. Whereas that is replying to a message you have postponed. Whereas that is walking to the shop and catching up on phone calls from the way there. Or if you are able to commute and be uh, like productive on your phone at the same time or on a laptop, and that's also something, whether that is just writing on newsletter, writing posts, scheduling those things out. Uh, the, uh, now I remember, the thing you said that is really handy is to actually go on and just try not to spend too much time dealing with other things than the one you're supposed to be doing. When you are producing stuff, that's a brilliant time to be taking pictures and videos and all of that. But you shouldn't then also be focusing on posting that immediately. Yeah. Like, uh, I personally, I've been struggling a little bit with the whole thing of like, oh, this needs to uh, cool down in five minutes. Let me go and do something else for three hours. <laughs> but instead, just being able to just say that, no, I'm not going to set, sit down. I'm going to stare, stand here for five minutes. And I'm going to just, I have like, because my mind works that way, there's this mental list of other things I can do on my phone that is productive. Yeah. 
and I'll get through one of those and then I'll get get going. But starting to stay a bit more monotask-like, trying to completely finish off this thing before I go on to anything else that is major. Yeah. If that makes sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it, I mean, you're fighting ADHD to the core there, really, aren't you? It's, uh, <laughs> it's just yes. really making sure you don't get distracted from that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Heidi? Any tips for that kind of idea? Um, well, I definitely think that it just always be mindful of your time and always be mindful, like, if you are just kind of, if you are in a place where you're sitting waiting, what can you be doing to utilize that time rather than just, you know, going on TikTok or going on Twitter or, you know, looking at the news? Can you be building out of a list of um, things you need to action? Uh, I find that lists are really helpful to me so that things don't fall through the cracks. Um, I noticed while I was traveling for my day job, things did fall through the cracks because I was so busy and I was not, you know, firmly planted in my studio at any point. Um, so there were things that like responses to emails or, um, responses to Instagram messages started to kind of backlog. And for anyone that is, is doing both, a full-time job and starting out a business, a backlog can really be um, really detrimental. Yeah. Um, in, not only in your time management, but also to your emotional health sometimes where you can start to feel really overwhelmed. So if you are in a place where you're considering turning your hobby into um into a business, then those are considerations that you have to make for yourself. Like how much time am I willing to commit to doing the actual work of, um, you know, your craft, but then how much emotional capital do I have available to also invest into the business? So for me as a, um, a mother, as a wife, as a project manager for a large print organization, as a small business owner, those are all considerations, like you were saying, is like the time management. So at any point, if I find myself, and I'm very vigilant about this, um, I don't cut myself slack a a lot. I don't give myself enough grace. Um, If I find that like I've played Zelda too long, then I feel really frustrated with myself, you know, like, oh, I could have been um, doing X, Y, Z to help get my business to the next level or, you know, whatever. And Ben will sit down and remind me, hey, you need to like have some fun time too. Um, So, you know, I thought both of your faces when I said, you know, I'm putting in actively four hours a day in the business. um, And it's not always just throwing, it's like all the other cleanup, right? Um, yeah, that, that is a place where I also need to be better for myself. I need to be more mindful. Like, yeah, some of that stuff that you do, um, bookkeeping wise, it can be a grind. Even social media can become a grind where you're like, I, you know, six months ago, I remember posting this thing and I'm about to repost it. Like, is anybody really interested in it? Were they interested in it the first time I posted? But, you know, yeah. um, using some of that sweat equity that you've you've developed historically too, um, on top of, you know, the library that you're creating as you're building your, um, work is don't be afraid. And, and this is, this is my, my time, um, (laughs) extra time for myself is don't be afraid to repeat. 
Um, yeah. So if you if you had something two years ago that you used for your Halloween, um, you know, n- notification, or you've already developed a product that you used two years ago and you just you haven't remade it. Don't be afraid to bring it back and be like, hey, guys, you know, you guys really liked this thing that I did. Um, don't don't constantly be trying to reinvent the wheel just so that you feel fresh to yourself. Yeah. Because a lot of times what happens is the people that patronize uh, that that that, you know, are loyal to your business from two years ago may not be the same people. So they may not have ever known that that thing existed. Um, same as social media. You know how quick you you swipe through and you're like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, most people's memory of what you've posted, unless you've done some giant diatribe about it or you've done like a newsletter or you've like played out like uh, you built one project and then that was the only thing you fed into your feed for like six months. People aren't going to remember that momentary yeah. upload. Yeah, artful shots from all the thousands of different angles, and yeah, yeah and moaning about it and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, that would that would be my suggestion: is is don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be afraid to re reuse. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good point, and particularly as you mentioned as well, the fact that if it was successful before, you can't guarantee it will be successful again. But there's a good chance that by now there's a new crop of people who will find the same thing interesting, uh, particularly if it's a seasonal item and that kind of stuff. I mean, the it, it's interesting you mentioned about the being hard on yourself for spending some time playing Zelda, um, because I think that that ties nicely into the, the setting boundaries element of of what we're going to discuss today, which is, you know, the kind of concepts of what are you willing to give up and for how long, and also importantly, are you you mentally going to be able to step away from that so you're experiencing what i would almost call a little bit of creator guilt so occasionally i'll I'll get a day off work when my wife's working and if i sit down and i watch a tv episode of a show that she's not interested in i will spend the whole time feeling guilty that i'm sat there just for an hour or 45 minutes of watching something not because i'm watching something and she's not there but i feel like i should i should be using this time better i should be out in my workshop i should be doing some admin for the business or even just ignoring the business aside i should be you know doing some housework which that's where that boundary setting comes in where you need to sort of say to yourself hang on a moment what what is it we're giving up and why what what's our reason for all of this particularly regarding our, our businesses you know why are we doing it in the first place are we wanting to move away from the nine to five workplace and and have this as our as our thing or are we doing it because we want a little bit of extra money why do you want the extra money if it's for your family is extra money really what you want compared to maybe you know if you're having to remove some time you spend with them that's more precious it, it's working out exactly where those boundaries are um, and as I say, how long are you willing to give those up? I mean, you made a great example, Heidi, of if you're doing a large batch order, that's when you'll be doing the potential four hours a day of, of a cycle of all of the things towards the end of that batch. But I'd imagine when you haven't got the large batch order that your your time, I would like to think, rakes back to sort of, let's say, two hours a day, because then that gives you back the time with Carver and with Ben um, and with anything else you've got going on. Or am I wrong? No, you're right. Um, so like I, like I was outlining before, if I have a large order, that's, you know, that's, that's the moneymaker time. That's, that's really when I have to put the nose to the grindstone. Um, but 
I think even, even when it comes to times where I don't have a lot going on, there's still maintenance that can be done. There's always floors to be swept, right? Like if you go to a job yeah. site and somebody's like, well, the work's not ready for you, but you know, you can go sweep the floors. Um, in any business, there's always floor sweeping to do. Um, <laughs> but I think what I do for myself, uh, and I try to alleviate some of that like guilt by setting timers, uh, physical timers, like telling Google, you know, I, I want this much time allotted for this activity so that I'm not sat there for, you know, six hours on it. Cause it's easy to get sucked into something yeah. for six hours. Uh, that's just a time suck, whether it's watching television or playing video games or just, you know, I don't know, drawing or, or doing something that's maybe not for the business. If I, yeah. if I recognize that I need some time off, then I will, I, I can set some timers so that I can avoid that, um, that crash at the end. You know, it's almost like having too much sweets. Yeah. I think that's very important also, like, despite how much we talk about like getting efficient, getting the time in, like keep working at it to get the business you want to have going. None of that matters if you have a complete burnout. Yeah. You need time to recharge. You need time to relax in between all of this. Something that helps me there is to actually say, I'm not supposed to work later than this. Yeah. Because as a full, I mean, granted for a full-time job, like my general stasis of thing is this is what I do all the time. Yeah, there are crunch periods. Absolutely. But my general status of being involves like not supposed to work later than this and to give myself the permission to do the fun things, sometimes uh, cutting down the work time just because like this is rare, this is really fun, this is important to me. That makes it easy for me to work extra next week when I know I have to or next time I need to. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to all this dealing or plotting out your schedule and sort of figuring out, okay, how much time can I realistically spend on a side hustle on this new business with in all of the extra responsibilities I have, remember to actually have time to have fun and relax. Yeah. I mean, for you, Dan, it's still having a full hour's lunch in the middle of your workday to go and completely disconnect from the wood turning when you have a full day off. I mean, I don't see any, anything wrong in that. So contrary, I think that will probably make your three hours, four hours before and after better because you're more refreshed if you're able to do that without feeling guilty about it. Yeah, so if I um, if I have the day off, um, I do try and make a conscious effort to mentally segregate the day to morning shift in the workshop, hour at lunch inside if I feel that I want to take the full hour, and then afternoon shift in the workshop. Um, or it might be that, you know, morning might be spent doing admin, social media, that kind of stuff, and the afternoon, will, or wh whichever way, but, you know, blocks of time. We will provide, uh, for all listeners, we, we're going to sort of show a bit later, but we're going to provide a template uh, that will be PDF, Excel, possibly various other uh, software availabilities. Um, and just a, a, time, a template for you to work out your times during the week and, and start with the, the really obvious ones, which are, you know, if you're full-time employed, you've got those periods of time that you're working. Uh, the second most obvious one that so many people forget is sleep. 
How much time do you yeah. give yourself to sleep? Oh, yes. Yes. I do not work on anything to do with Bevel past 9 p.m. Okay? Unless I'm packing up to go to an event the next day, hmm. 9 p.m. it's cut off. I don't go to bed till about 10, but 9 p.m. is cut off time. It gives you an hour to sort of slow your brain down and to stop thinking about that kind of stuff. Spend a bit of time uh, with your partner or, or whatever and, like, get ready to go to bed at 10 p.m. And then, hey, depending on what's happening the next day, the alarm might go off at 6.30 and all of that kind of good stuff and you're up and running again. But factor in sleep time, all right? It's really important. Uh, I'm sure we're all aware of that, particularly as we get older. Uh, we're not going to talk about naps on this particular occasion. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> once you, you know, you've, so you've got, if you've got a day job, that kind of stuff, if you've got, you know, sleep time, and then it, it is other things that, that kick in. You know, if you allow yourself or you're, you're prescribed an hour for lunch at a time or, um, you know, you've got children and they've got after school activities or maybe you, you know, maybe you go to some form of social event, whether it's you go to the gym, whether or not you play a musical instrument with a bunch of friends, all of that kind of stuff. Schedule it all in. Work out if you're willing to give any of it up. This isn't us suggesting that you should. This is just you you having an honest conversation with yourself. Hey, if you want to give this thing a go, if you're talking about getting to a point of this being a business it's recognizing that you you've got a limited amount of time that you can use towards this so if it works out after all of the things you currently do that you don't want to give up that you've got one hour a week to work towards this that's absolutely fine yeah but you also need to recognize that that means it's going to take you a long time to get to where you want to go so we're not going to talk about goal setting in this particular episode because that's a whole topic on its own but you have to work out where you want to sort of end up, as it were. Um, and if it's to be full-time employed doing the thing that you're doing, or even if it's just a couple of days a week doing the thing that you're doing, then you need to be realistic about the amount of time that you're going to devote towards getting to this stage. Um, I think I think that's quite reasonable. Um, but it, it's just an interesting exercise. Just log out all those different times uh, and then, as as Heidi suggested, you know, you can, you can block, you can say, right, I'm going to give myself an hour tonight to whether it's reading a book, playing a computer game, watching a TV episode, whatever, whatever it is, you know, schedule that in. Not because you're trying to be militant about your time, but just as an exercise to begin with, so you can realistically work out how much spare time you might have. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about feedback. Um because this is something that I've fallen foul of in the past with other sort of startup business ideas I briefly had. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, asking for feedback from your family isn't always the best idea. And even asking for feedback from close friends isn't always the best idea. Um, yeah. If you are able to find a group of people, whether it be on the internet or locally, physically to you, which I personally think is better where you can take something you have made to show them, you know, ask them first if they're happy to do the critique kind of thing. Um, we frequently get it in the shop. So I sell wood turning tools and equipment. We will get guys come in with a finished product and go, hey, what do you think of this? All right. As I am a representative of the business, I obviously always have to be polite, which it's, you know, just nice to be anyway. 
but I will always do my best to give a balanced critique of the work. I mean, if it's truly stunning, if it's amazing, um, then I'll be quite obvious to that person and say, like, this is kind of cool. I hope you're planning on keeping it or whatever. Um, but if I'm presented with something that is very clearly near the beginner end of the scale, I'm not going to tell them, I'm not going to laugh in their face and sort of go, what are you doing here? Constructive criticism of, hey, look, I can see what you were trying to do. What techniques did you use? Maybe you can try this or try that or whatever the case may be. Maybe before even that, like uh, like I said, sometimes you notice on the customer coming in what kind of feedback they're looking for. Yeah. Sometimes that is just encouragement, but other times it might be worth to ask them, like, what do you want to hear from me? What is your questions about the thing you have given me to, see, to look at? Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, what do you think of the design of this? Ignore the execution of it, but what's the idea of the design? Sometimes it's the minute details of like, yeah. what's the finer points of this that I can improve upon? What's like, as a fellow craftsman in this field, what do you see that is catching your eyes that shouldn't be there? And things like that. And depending on how minute into the details you want to go, yeah, uh, that's completely different conversations. So it could be worthwhile to actually sort of get that check in and see like what do you want from me it's, it's a good point um but looking at this from the point of view of the person making the thing to sell it yes i think it's um it, it's also important to realize what it is you are after when you take a piece in Th that goes the same way yeah, it goes both ways. yeah yeah if you walk in with a piece and go hey do you think i could sell this for 20 pounds mm. or dollars or whatever it is your your currency is and the person looks at you and says no Mm. that's that's not viable feedback yeah if you go in and say hey i'm i'm making this thing i would like to know what you think i should charge for this in your opinion or you know what do you think it's worth what would you be willing to pay for it and that that gives you a bit more of a realistic idea and i'm not okay that's just one facet of it cost is one facet of it we're not talking specifically about that but you know ways to improve and everything else but it also covers the whole concept of do you think what i am trying to do is viable as a business not suggesting that you start going to your competition and asking them if that's the case um but just just getting some honest feedback from people about about your thing um, and I'm sure you did that, Heidi, when you, you took stuff into shops or when people started asking you if you'd be willing to do wholesale groups and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously when I started out, my stuff didn't look like it would hold anything. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very um, difficult thing to, to throw professionally, uh, to get to a level where you can throw professionally. Um, so it took a couple of years of me really just um, feeling out the process and understanding it. But I've I've seen other startup potters thinking that the things that they initially were throwing were worth taking to um, you know events, and in some cases they they would get upset that no one was buying their pieces, uh, but they weren't willing. They didn't they weren't interested. Let's put it that way. They weren't interested hmm. in getting that constructive feedback to tell them why uh, maybe the clients clientele that they were chasing were maybe more educated about what they were doing than they were or, you know, um, those kind of things. So it's a, it's a pitfall, right? Like if you, if you are passionate about your crafts 
and and you're looking at what you're doing and it's it's sometimes difficult not to feel overconfident when you see yourself making strides in uh, in your discipline and not overshooting um, where you're actually at in your craft. So it is good to get the feedback. So um, in the United States, we have um, guilds, like craftsmen's guilds, yeah. that are always open to um, you joining, first of all, and you know, learning your craft or learning how to critique yourself, how to look for your, your own flaws. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can have somebody just completely harsh uh, and just be like, I think it looks like shit. And I think I hate the color. I hate the shape. I hate how it feels in my hand. I hate how it, how it feels to use it. Yeah. Um, but they're just mean, right? They're mean spirited. Um, so it's really just be careful uh, of the person that you're you're chasing their critique. But also, yeah, like you were saying, like you don't want to go to somebody that's too friendly, like um, your mom, yeah, or your best friend, unless your best friend is a trained artist and and can give that like specific cr- criticism back. Um, who I received the best advice from were other potters. Yeah. So I go to shows and, you know, I maybe wouldn't have my pieces with me, but I talked to them about my process and like what I was doing and I'd share pictures and, and they, you know, they would say, you know, I'm going down the right path or, you know, Hey, your, your handles are a bit big or, Hey, um, I'm seeing some blistering on your glazes. You can't sell that. Um, so like there are some things that, Maybe maybe uh, a new potter might not recognize as being something that's dangerous to sell, or um, you know they might have seen a technique online like using pieces of glass in their glaze, like smashing up a bunch of glaze uh, glass to um, put in their dishes. Well, that never fuses well, and you can end up if you make that into something that's used for food, the shards of glass can break off because of of the temperature so like there's a there's a lot of things that you see online that you're like oh this is really cool and then if you don't know your craft or you don't know um the safety issues or whatever um you could potentially be making a product that is dangerous for someone so getting that type of feedback too like is what i'm making for the purpose that i'm making it to be used as safe um, because you, again, you don't want that to fall back on you, but yeah. going back to that glass example, you sell something like that, or even a glaze that's blistered on the inside over time. If someone's like knocking the spoon around in there, they're, they're going to knock that glaze loose. That's glass. So you're going to have that in, in somebody's drink maybe. So it's just yeah. like, I can give those types of examples. And I've also seen people on like the beginner communities, like trying to get their work critiqued yeah. and people being like, Oh, you, you can't sell that. Um, it's, it's not been vitrified. Like there's black mold on the bottom of your pieces yeah. because the, the liquid is being held in the material. And so it's becoming, um, a cesspool of germs. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, you know, like, yeah, fun. Yeah. And I'm sure like as from a, a woodworking perspective, like if you're selling bowls for uh, food, you have to be mindful of the materials that you're using. You don't want to use a wood that is poisonous. You don't want to use a, a lacquer or a finishing that is poisonous. 
Um, you have to make sure everything's food safe. But I see people in the community yeah. that get upset. Yeah, absolutely. When yeah. they're faced with that type of criticism. And to be honest, like you, if you put those types of products out there, um, you know, you're putting yourself at risk. Yeah, for absolutely. Is it worth then to mention that you should sort of check your ego? Yeah. Also as well in all of this? Because, yeah, it's it's very nice and really good to be happy and proud of what, what you made. But that doesn't mean it is perfect. Yeah. And doesn't and because it has imperfection doesn't mean you shouldn't be proud of what you've done. Yeah. But it's about the, improving the process and not not you as a person. So here we don't have to have like certifications uh, to be a certain, you know, discipline. I know in Germany it's a, it's a little bit different, but is it is it different for you? I know you had mentioned previously that you had like there's schooling available for blacksmith. Yes, but I don't have any certificates of any kind. I have one year in school and I have the diploma for that. But I don't have a I haven't completed an apprenticeship. I haven't done a journeyman piece because none of that was available when I finished school. And even though the rules have changed and I can do that privately afterwards and just show up and have the ex sort of do the journeyman piece, have that exam and hopefully get that diploma for it. Uh, I haven't had time to even consider that and or haven't prioritized considering it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yes, I, I, I seem to recall England at least having a lot more strictness when it comes to sort of those kind of things, traditional crafts and... All of that, but I don't know if that's relevant or something you know much about, Dan. Um, we we have a lot of guilds. We have a lot of things that you can be members of that will then um, you have to adhere to within certain conditions of the way you work. So, for instance, uh, in the wood turning perspective, there is the Association of Wood Turners of Great Britain, and there's the Register of Professional Turners. Currently, with both of those. Um, the Association of Woodturners of Great Britain, if you join those and then you become an accredited tutor under their rules, you then have to follow their health and safety guidelines and all of the rest of it because you're a representative of them as a body, uh, which all is perfectly makes sense and everything else. But other than that, it you don't have to do that. I'm, I'm not an approved tutor of anybody and yet I teach woodturning and that I am paid for. Uh, through my through my day job um, but there isn't policing as such I think certainly at the moment there's an awful there's a big movement to uh, stop crafts from dying in the UK which is partly for, for better or worse partly been inspired by a couple of TV shows that have, have gone on that have kind of reignited people's passion for the old traditional crafts. And they've been able to leverage that to talk about, um, I think there's a heritage craft lottery fund or something. But anyway, they, they're kind of, they're bringing back a lot of that sort of thing. Um, but there is an awful lot of information there that because people haven't necessarily been officially trained you know maybe there's there's a couple of guys i know locally who um claim to be blacksmiths and everything that in you guys don't know them i'm not referencing people that i'm then going to ridicule um, 
they they you know they claim to be blacksmiths but they are entirely self-taught and there's nothing wrong with that at all but i could guarantee you that there will be parts of the processes that they do that are not as efficient or safe as they could be if they had had a formalized education in that process but exactly the same goes for me in the way that i do wood turning i had a two-day training course from a tutor and I have then since gone and had one-on-one -on -one days with master, what I would call master woodturners. They aren't registered as that. There is no kind of master woodturner status in the UK. Um, but that's because I've chosen to do that. There is no regulation to say you have to do that. Um, but I mean, if we if we sort of go back towards the, the feedback angle, I would suggest two things. One is ask three people for the feedback on the same piece okay i would strongly suggest strongly suggest you don't go to a random open facebook group where you don't know everyone in the group and put up a picture of your picture of your thing and say hey what do people think uh because if it's a nice group you will get some people who are very diplomatic and say yes that's nice or you know maybe give it a like or something which doesn't give you any feedback and you will still get some people who will think that they're being helpful but don't have the right level of social skills or words to use to not come across as being mean because the written word has no inflection in it so you don't know if someone's being sarcastic you don't know if someone's trying to be nice or if someone just doesn't know how to write things in such a way that it comes across as friendly um i would always suggest doing it face to face but hey I, a lot of creative people are introverts um maybe they don't have a social circle they're willing to kind of share stuff in um and i'm going to open myself up to a whole world of potential pain here um i'm i'm happy if any woodturner or whoever you know out there wants to send stuff to me and just say hey look we've never met but i've made this piece can you can you give me some feedback what do you think and and tell me what it is you want me to critique i am happy to do so and to the best of my ability to do that and i think the same would um, heidi's nodding uh rasmus we're going to throw you under the bus all of us individually in our own respective crafts <laughs> would be happy for you to do that if you feel that you know listening to us here gives you enough of a connection that you you respect what we do yes uh, have a look at our individual social medias and all that kind of stuff and we would be happy to offer that critique or even if we don't cover your um respective craft speak to us anyway and we probably know someone who would be willing to critique it and you know this isn't a chargeable service or anything this is craftspeople helping craftspeople this is all part of the kind of the maker thing and and just kind of helping people along uh because that's how crafts stay alive not hoarding all the knowledge and not telling anyone else and letting it die with you if you are even a sociable person maybe even see if there's someone else local to you that you can start some kind of critique group with. Yeah. Even across disciplines, because other tradesmen, other, other tradies tend to have a better understanding of the processes involved and what you would need to hear to improve the process, even though they don't know that specific craft. But they can maybe ask you the questions you need to hear to figure out how to make things better. But there's, there's also the other element of that is don't just take your stuff to tradespeople. 
Oh, yeah, okay, yes, so, absolutely. <laughs> you know, if, if Heidi's making a mug, go to a coffee shop and give it to the guys in the coffee shop and say, hey, what do you think? Because they pick up mugs all day long and they'll be the ones to tell you it's too heavy, the handle's too small, the da 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 you know, all those kind of things. So you can get the, the craft element, which is telling you about the stuff that you didn't know was potentially dangerous, and then you can get the user element because those are the guys you're most likely going to be selling to. I mean, yourself, Raz, you know, if you were if you were going to make butchery knives, I'd like to think you take it to a butcher, not to just another bladesmith who also has possibly yep. never spoken to a butcher. Um, yeah, no, and, and that's like that's two different levels of crit criticism. Yeah, yeah. One is, yeah, you need to get criticism, criticism from the people who is going to use it, your customer. Yes. But if that side of it is sort of figured out already, then talking to a colleague who can help you with the process and efficiencies and how to make it. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, does anyone have anything else to add to those elements of conversation before I, I move us on to the, the assignment for, the, for this episode? Uh, we're going to be mean. We're going to give our audience members assignments to do. Um, and, you know, I say that we're not expecting you to turn them in by a deadline or even to ten, turn them in and send them to us at all. Um, <laughs> what we want to do is, is to give you a helping hand. We, we are going to create a, a template timetable for you all that will be available from settingupshop.com. And so that's as it's written out there. And remember, shop is S-H-O-P-P-E dot com. Uh, and we will also point towards it at the end of each episode and on our social media and everything else. Um, so we're going to say, create. you know, there's a template there for you for the timetable. Sit down and plan out your week. If, you've, if you're fortunate enough to have your routine that is only one week based, great. If it's two, then, you know, work on two templates and just kind of figure out your timings there. Um, and the second one is to get feedback, to get that kind of... Um, critique and all the rest of it and again as we said you know even if you're listening to this episode now and you look at the date and it aired like two years ago you can still reach out to us it will be fine um at the worst case scenario we will politely decline um so you know you will lose nothing from reaching out absolutely but you will never gain anything from not reaching out at all <laughs> okay so we're going to finish up this episode um because part of the reason for doing this is to hold each other accountable within our own businesses um and so i'm going to ask the question of uh, what one thing have you done this week to move closer to your own business goal and uh, i'm going to start with erasmus does moving and organizing a workshop move <laughs> count as that because i did figure out to i did opted my insurance and got a a, a contract with the power company figured out that that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, you know, getting <laughs> that's, that's some higher end admin. But yeah, I, I would say that 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 factors in, and um, making sure that all of your friends have been put on high alert. That there's lots of heavy items to move again. Uh, is uh, <laughs> yes. So for some reason, they they stopped responding to my calls at this point. <laughs> you need to offer more than just a pizza. Two pizzas. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not one of your friends. Not, no, no point bartering with me. In, I am one of your friends, but I'm not in Norway. Um, what about yourself, Heidi? Uh, well, we are still working on the studio build. And I would say like the order of supplies that I made 
this week that really hit the budget. <laughs> we did um, we did pull the trigger on ordering all of the supplies for the ceiling. Um, so now it's just a matter of actioning and and getting the insulation in and the ceiling done. Um, one step closer to the studio being done. Well, it's just funny, isn't it? Because Raz, you're moving into yet another workshop. Heidi, you're you're finally sort of building out your studio space, so most of it's on the one spot. And I'm currently trying to reorganise and do my mm. uh, workshop space and try and make it feel and look a bit more professional. Um, mine's a lot more mundane than that. I bought a load of trunking to hide electrical cables. Um, I haven't got as far as actually fitting any of it yet because that involves unpinning all of the current wiggly electrical cables and then fitting all of the trunking and putting them all back in again which is a delightful task that um if it didn't cost so much i would pay an apprentice electrician to do for me um but hey you've got to you've got to save money somewhere um i have also uh which is a little bit more relevant i guess i have emailed a place that does a um a christmas market and yes i am talking about christmas already oh um and uh, they they are notorious they they run a six week market wow uh out of a converted yeah so they've got a converted chapel that they work out of normally as craftspeople two of them and they have a small shop there um and then for the whole of october and going into november i think it starts middle of october they run six weeks and they have i think it's something like 10 different creative people there um but they it's just the two of them who run it so you don't have to man the stall so you can kind of just send a load of stock there they take a cut and you can go off and do other markets and then they might contact you and say hey you know we need more of this have you got any more of these that's cool um so i've contacted them and uh fingers crossed we'll be able to do that which you know means i can still carry on with the day job i'm not having to commit any of the other time away so uh we will wait and see so thank you everyone for listening um finding us how would you find us if you've not already um so i am at bevelwood uk or bevelwood.co.uk that's instagram and website and heidi where would they find you you can search for whitehall pottery uh that's instagram facebook uh, website all around and if you want to email me uh with your images of what you're working on if that's strikes something for you you can email me at Heidi at whitehallpottery.com. That's a good point. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to email anything to me, or in fact, you know, if you want to email it to all three of us, you can you can send it to info at settingupshop.com. Um, or if you want to in- email me directly, it's, it's info at bevelwood.co.uk. And yourself, Rasmus? I am at Rasmus Lowen on any of the mostly social places. And there's rasmuslowen.no if you happen to speak something vaguely Norwegian. And if you'd like to spell out how Lowen is spelt, for those of us... Lima, October, Echo, November. That's the only way I can do it, I better think. <laughs> <laughs> military background kicking in there. Uh, well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> thank you very much, guys. A pleasure to chat to you as always. And a uh, reminder to all of our listeners, you know, don't go ride a duck. You want to make sure you know what you're doing before you get started. And until we see you again next time. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.